Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Gary. And together, we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we'll be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends cocktail wise so let's hear what's on the show this week in an industry that's positively bursting with inspirational dynamic creative and downright fierce and fabulous females it was hard for us to pick out just a few to highlight in this our celebration of women in drink special but we think we've done a pretty good job our lineup this week takes in the best in drinks writing from author Alice Lassels, a limited edition range of awesome beers from master brewer Jaeger Wise, a stunningly good whiskey from Ireland's first modern whiskey bonder, Louise McGuan, and Donya, a mezcal bar and arts platform created by Thea Cummin and Lucia Massey to empower feminine energy. Our guest is bar owner, mentor, author, consultant and all-round icon, Julie Reiner, a role model for many kick-ass women behind the bar and in the drinks industry today. Ladies of drinks, we salute you. With a specially made cocktail, of course. So this week's cocktail, we're celebrating International Women's Day with everything on this episode. And when we were talking about this cocktail, we both simultaneously went hanky-panky. Well, you've got to have a little bit of hanky-panky. Well, but definitely because of everything that we're talking about today and the historical context of it and the fact, well, I, I know that you're going to go into all of the details, but... It could only be this cocktail. Yeah, it's it's a fabulous cocktail anyway. Just just to you know, give you a little bit of brief background, it's created by the legend that is was Ada Coleman, known as Coley, and she was the head bartender at the Savoy from 1903 until she retired in 1926. So over I mean, twenty years, it's a big big deal. I mean, we have to sort of. Stop and appreciate that. Give props yes, to Ada yes. for that. Because at that time, I mean, even now, particularly in London, it's we're starting to see a lot more female faces behind the bar. But at that time, to have somebody as the head bartender and a female, and now, I mean, just a 100 years later, we've got yeah, the second years. female head bartender at the Savoy. But again, you're going to go into more detail with that. But we just wanted to just... Put it all into context because Ada was our kind of gal. Yeah, yeah. And we want to salute her in honour of all female bartenders, women bartenders. So, yeah, she was there, as I say, in the early 20th century. And she created this drink, the Hanky Panky, for an actor, actor manager 
called Sir Charles Hawtrey. Oh, yeah. And uh, I like the way he said, oh, yeah. Like, oh, you know <laughs> my, my, my chum. No, no, I know the, I know the, the, the actor. The, the actor, yes. yeah. And so the story goes, he would he was regular in Coley's bar. And one particular day he was rehearsing a lot and he went in and he said to her he felt half dead and asked her to come up with something to sort him out. So this was the re- result. And upon tasting it, so the story goes, he said, by Jove, this is the real hanky panky. <laughs> and, and anybody that says by Jove yes. is topped in my book. I think I'm going to start saying it more. By often. Jove, let's by do Jove. It. Golly, <laughs> golly and gosh. <laughs> okay, so the hanky panky. And it's also, and we love this, it's actually a pretty simple drink to make. So it's, it's effectively a sweet martini, really. So instead, um, so I've got gin and I've got, instead of dry vermouth, sweet vermouth, and an all-important third ingredient that was the result of, uh, that was resulted in by Joe. That's the real hanky-panky. So I'm going into my, you can actually shake this in the Savoy cocktail book. It says shake, but every other recipe I've seen always says uh, stir it. And as it's martini style, yeah, we're going to stir it. So into my mixing glass, 45 ml of gin and because i'm making two of course i've doubled that up and likewise easy to remember it's half and half so 45 ml of gin and 45 ml of sweet vermouth that's going into the mixing glass and now the all-important third ingredient is Fernabranca. It's interesting, isn't it? Because most cocktails, they're all variations on the same theme, aren't they? And as you said, this is pretty much a martini, just a few different ingredients. But, you know, once you've mastered one or two cocktails, you can go for it with with everything else. Yes, and I think that's that's a really good point. And I think this is a a great example of of doing that because, uh, you know, if you like making dry martinis, as we have been known to do from time to time. Once or twice. (laughs) um, This is a nice variation on that. So while we've been chatting there, I've put in the Fernabranca. How much did you say? I've put in... uh, Or did you say? I am saying now uh, (laughs) it's 2.5 millilitres, which is quite a small measure i know but as i'm doubling it up that's five which is a teaspoon or bar yeah spoon. So makes that's it easy. easy so i've got that in into my mixing glass i'm putting in plenty of ice and needless to say but i'm going to say it anyway our lovely nick onora or nick mm-hmm. onora glasses are already chilling there's ice in them so i'm just getting the glass some ice into my mixing glass and stirring mm. yeah that is definitely a stirred cocktail isn't it really i yeah. think rather than shaken yeah it's funny because i think when we we actually talked about the savoy cocktail book on a previous episode mm. and uh, so many recipes that you associate with uh, stirring like dry martinis and manhattans are in there as shaken and uh, i why, guess it's just style at that time yeah isn't i suppose it? everything looked more glamorous shaking yeah a cocktail shaker, i suppose it? even people going into a bar they wanted to hear the that musicality of the shaker maybe yeah. bit of theater and there's a little i don't know if you can hear that from where you're sitting there's a musicality of the of the stirring, stirring so indeed. i think i have a little sneaky taste to make sure Mm-mm. Yep, that's tasting good. So I'll just discard the ice from our glasses. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get that. Well, it's got a lovely 
Hugh. Hugh. I knew you were going to say Hugh. Actually, you might not have. I just put those. No, I was, I was going to say it's got a lovely Hugh. And you, <laughs> you took the word right out of my mouth. So Indeed. I just finished that off with a little orange zest. Let me pass that over to you. Thank there you. There you go. Hanky panky. It's the real yeah. hanky panky. Yeah, let's have a little cheers here. Yes, and here's to all our favourite women all around the world working behind the bar, but also for all of those in front of it as well. Here's here's to you all. Here's to you cheers. all. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. That on. is the real hanky panky. Yeah. I was hoping you'd say by Joe as <laughs> the real hanky panky. <laughs> So from the drinks cabinet this week, I have gone for JJ Corey Irish whiskey. Mm. And what I like about this, the story of it, is they refer to it as resurrecting the lost art of Irish whiskey bonding. Mm. Now, this wasn't something I knew anything about, and I did a little bit of research on it. And this goes back to the 19th and early 20th century when there were literally hundreds of little distilleries all over Ireland. And what used to happen back then was these distilleries, they didn't age and bottle their own whiskey. They used to just produce it. And then these people, bonders, who were basically publicans or grocers, would handpick some of these and then they'd take them away to their warehouses and they would be the people who matured them and then blended them and bottled them mm. and then they put their own names on them and this was the way it was done apparently um sadly this died out in the 1930s but here is where this choice comes in this business is based at somewhere called the maguan family farm in county clare and in 2015 louise maguan and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Louise, decided to play her part in the resurgence of Irish whiskey. So she built a rack house, as you do. <laughs> and uh, in there, she's now set about creating this amazing library of whiskies. So she's gone around Ireland selecting whiskies as they did in the olden days. Yeah, and Louise is amazing, actually. she is. Um, we did do an interview with her a good few years ago, and we'll put a link into in the show notes because it's a really lovely story, and yes. she's so passionate about this project, and it's her life now, isn't it? So, yeah, um, yeah. yes, do tell us more. So, yes, as you say, it's her life. She started this thing, and in doing so, she has become... Ireland's first modern whiskey bonder. So that is something to be incredibly yes. proud of. Big ups, Louise. Well done. So yeah, that's <laughs> incredible. So the one we're tasting together, they refer to it as their flagship. It's called, I believe, the Gale. But I'm always, I'm sorry, I always get a little bit freaked out when I, when I read. <laughs> With Irish spelling. Yeah, spelling. yeah. Exactly. And I, I, many, many apologies if that is the incorrect pronunciation, but I hope I've got it right. Anyway, more importantly, what's in the bottle mm. so um tell us about the bottle here so it's kind of it's somewhere half it's a halfway house between something that looks traditional but not fusty dusty mm. so it's got a nice design it's a sort of stubby bottle there's cool it's quite a nice heavy bottle isn't it, it? it's is. very, it's very uh, serious yeah and i think that's reflected in the quality of what they're trying to do mm. as i say it's their flagship blend it's a mixture of Morton Grain whiskies. It also includes some of the oldest whiskies from their rack house. 
And yeah, I'm very excited. So shall I just crack it over? I think you should. Let's do this. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? I, I take a cork out of a bottle. Is that funny? Well, it was. It was It was just looking at you doing it. But anyway, it's that's because just I, for my delight. I worry that the cork is not going to come out. Yeah. But I think it has. So let me just pass this to you. There you go. Wonderful. So this is our JJ Corey. Mm -hmm. Lovely. So it's quite straw coloured, isn't it? It is. Mm. It's dancing in the light, I Mm. think I would say. It's it's got a delicate aroma, Mm. I think, what we Yeah, it's lovely. So let's go in for a little taste. Really nice. Mm. Oh, I like Mm. that. Actually, it's an intriguing mix. There's a sweetness, but there's also this headiness as mm. well you know it's sort of it's got a weightiness about mm. it as well but first sip it's very it's quite sweet approachable yeah, yeah. also there's a nice bit of spice going on mm. there, which i like it's both spicy but oaky yeah yeah i almost sound like i know what i'm talking about almost almost <laughs> but not but not completely that's really good. I mean, this is a wonderful thing because it is about the mm. Irish whiskey. You're talking about the bonding houses and, yeah. and everything. And also, again, this amazing female that is doing, she's gone about this on her yeah, own. You know, her she's, yeah, project. exactly. She's yeah. put a lot of time, energy, and she's getting a lot of traction, particularly in the States at the moment, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's um, a journey that we, highly recommend that you get on board with because louise is fantastic and her whiskey is equally amazing yeah so i I couldn't agree more and if this is a this is a fine example of what she set out to do yeah i should just say it's 46 abv and it is for a 750 ml bottle it is 79.95 from all sorts of places, including the Whiskey Exchange, and definitely worth seeking out. Brilliant. And as we said, please look on our Instagram feed or on our website for pictures. So we've never actually reviewed a a beer on on this podcast before, but we're going for one today. It's um, by the Wildcard Brewery, and the female master brewer is called Jaegerwise, an amazing woman who, together with um, her partners, set up this company in 2012. Mm-hmm. They're based in Walthamstow in East London. And you know it well. Yeah, exactly. Near, near to my, my home. Your old manor. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really great, independent, fantastic brewery. Jaeger trained as a chemical engineer and she started home brewing in Nottingham before coming to East London with her chums to set up this brewery. She regularly speaks about sexism in the industry and trying to encourage more women into the world of beer. She's also a writer, she's a presenter and a really great woman and brilliant person to champion. Can can I just actually say, because you said at the beginning about we've never done a beer before, but Mm. I think it's worth saying, people might be saying, 
you're the why? cocktail lovers. Why mm. are you doing a beer? I think we've always sort of said that we're very interested in flavor experiences and, and just a whole sort of celebration of good things in life. And, exactly. I mean, we this, like cocktails, yeah. but we like beer, we, we like, like wine, we like yeah, tea, so you know. I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to sort of celebrate this. Yeah, exactly. So these are, as we said, um, the brewery is called Wildcard Brewery. They've won lots of awards already. And the head brewer, as I said, Jaeger, she makes award winning seasonal beers. And we are trying her latest collaborations. Mm-hmm which they've teamed up with Lazy Oaf, which is the lifestyle and clothing brand. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, so they've come up with these amazing um, the cans. cans. Yeah, and, and also, at the same time, Lazy Oaf are introducing a clothing line based around this and based around British pub culture. Oh, so, you nice. know, I think yeah. that would be a great thing to get behind. So... There's three in this range. I'm just passing them over to Gary. Mm. And actually, when you put the cans together, it's the illustration of a face, basically. So, right. okay. so here you've got the nose. These are the teeth. And the ones you've got in your hands <laughs> are the <laughs> eyes. I mean, they're right. bonkers. Can I just great. jump in? You want to add these no, to your crazy gang. I, I do. <laughs> but before I get on to my crazy gang, I was just about to say, it's so nice these days, the way that beer cans don't have to look like beer cans. Yeah, exactly. For years, they were just dull. Yeah. (laughs) And suddenly you can be as creative in the design of beer cans as you can in any other walk of life. And and this is a really good thing that you said. So this is the latest collaboration. But if you go onto the Wild Card Brewery website, they've got some amazing collaborations and designs on there some of them including star signs and you know it's just lovely really really great yeah. thing and and also just going back to my gang because <laughs> i would like to go back because reg- regular listeners yes. and we hope there are regular listeners will know that i'm putting together a gang of my favorite cartoon characters from, on labels from what we come across on like <laughs> these are straight in these these guys are straight in my gang okay so we've got as we said so it's a new collaboration and there's three beers in this series so there's one called the snifter pale ale which is a blend of oat and pale malt with the hops added at the end of the boil so i'm just going to give you a little yeah, sample yeah, and yeah. then you can choose Quit which one my we, appetite yeah exactly Exactly. So and then the next one is called Lazy's Eye, as in your eyes, PA, you see? Eyes, PA. PA yeah, yes. I, I got it. And yeah. <laughs> so this one is malt bill using pale malt and oats to make an ultra thick, juicy, and creamy base. That's what they how they yeah. describe it. And then we have the oaf. Juice berry sour. So that's modern. (laughs) Oh, Lord, in a good way. In a good way. Oh, good. Right. Okay. In a good way. So this is a salty wheat beer with added pureed raspberries and blackcurrants, as well as some hibiscus um, to a lager and wheat beer. So all sorts of things you're saying there that, you know, I never used to associate with beer, that depth of flavour. And I know, apologies, I'm probably sort of, uh, I'm not a beer expert well, at me, all. No, we're but, not. But, you know, it's just great to hear all those flavours yeah. mentioned. So can I select the one that you I want You can select the one that you're okay. interested in trying. Right. I'm actually always quite partial to an IPA. So right. I would like okay. the IPA, please. The IPA. IPA. And that's the one that has got the eyes on the front of okay. the can, you My, see. You see where they're going together. there. Right. So we're going for the IPA. Oops. Mm. 
Right, so these cans are quite big, actually. 440 yeah. mil. Yes. Yeah. So Gary's going to pour that. Right. And the prices are from 450 to £4.70. So that may sound expensive, but these are craft beers. You know, they've been beautifully made and they're actually quite limited edition. So that's why you pays your money and you get mm. the quality stuff. Oh. It's got a great aroma. I know. That I mean, is... The minute you opened it, I can yeah. smell it where I'm sitting, but that's yes. over the glass. And that is... Mm. It's coming at 5.7 okay. ABV, it's so... Fresh. It smells fruity. It's lovely. Mm. It's fruity. It smells of Oh, hay. I love that. It smells of the countryside. Well, to me, there's kind of like a sort of pineapple-y mm. thing. It's sort of peach for me. Mm. It's beautiful. I love that Ooh. fruitiness on that. Oh. I love that. that. It's kind of very dry. Mm. Dry. I like that a lot, actually. Floral. It's it's a happy beer. It Mm. really is. I love that. It's really gorgeous. Well, we're tasting it in March, and it makes me think of the summer. Mm. Lovely. Wow. That is a great, great IPA. And we are very happy with that. Talking more about the Wildcard Brewery, as we say, they're based in Walthamstow. They have a bar there, so you can go, you can enjoy the the beers. You can order online as well. They also have a, a beer club, so you can join that and each month get nine cans from them and also some of their selected brewers that they admire as well. And that's for £36 a month. So that's a great way if you're a beer lover or you want to find out a little bit more about different craft beers. And judging by what we've tasted here, I would sign up, definitely. So that is Wildcard Brewery. And you've got to have a look at these beautiful cans, which, as we say, always you can see on our website on or our Instagram feed. And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. My name is Becky Paskin and I'm a whiskey expert and founder of Our Whiskey. My cocktail hack is why not add a couple of sweets to your glass of bourbon? Cola cubes are a brilliant way to add flavour to your whiskey without adding any kind of other ingredients, the expense of other spirits in there, just add one or two cubes, give it a stir and let those beautiful cola flavours dissolve and melt into the whiskey. Honestly, try it, it's going viral on TikTok right now. Uh, it's, It's fantastic, give it a go. We might be missing something, but I don't really know of that many female-owned bars in London. In the States, I think it's better, but in London, not so much. But we are so happy that we came across a bar called Donya. It's based in in Stoke Newington. It's a fantastic space and a really celebration of all things female, woman X those who identify as women, it's a celebration of that. And it is pretty damn awesome. So what were your thoughts, Mr. G? Well, actually, can I just pick up on something you just said? Because um, they describe themselves as independent creativity and empowered femininity. Mm. And what I like about that, having chatted to them there, is that they were keen to point out that empowered femininity isn't just about women. It's about what everybody, male and female and everybody else, 
has within them, which is feminine. And Mm. it's a celebration of that. And I think that's a really empowering statement. Yeah. So it's founded, run, curated and celebrated by two women, Taya Cummin and Lucia Massey. And it's a really amazing space. It's sort of well, how would you describe it? Sort of cabaret style? Yeah, well, yeah, because you descend, it's underneath a restaurant and you descend the stairs. And as we were going down, you don't know what to expect as you go down the stairs. It's a basement bar. But then you emerge. Well, you this- know you're going to get something special because yeah. there's this red sequined curtain that greets you at the door. <laughs> well, so you, you clue, know it's going to be pretty. But you don't know if it's going to be big, small, yes. light dark whatever and it is actually quite a big open space in a basement but it's it's quite theatrical very which i really liked Mm. it's got lots of lovely little curated spaces really nice bar and i think it's worth saying straight away uh is that it's very much a venue for live music, which they're big champions of. Yeah, well, performances. So it's everything from poetry readings to DJs to, to, you know, small live music things. It's it's a real great space for people to try out things in a beautiful, safe environment, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And I think that's what I like about our experience of it and also chatting to the team there is that it's, yes, it's about performance. Yes, it's about mezcal. And there's great food, which we'll come on to later. But it really struck me that they've given equal respect to every single thing they've done. It's not like it's about performance, we better have cocktails. Or it's about cocktails, we better have performance. All of them are treated really well. Yeah, exactly. So you get the, and it's it's beautifully and quirky. It's quite quirkily it designed. Quirky. Because um, Lucia, she has a background in theatre and performance. So she looks after that side of things and, and booking in acts. And if you do want a great space to perform yourself, yeah. do get in touch with them because it is an amazing space. And then we have Taylor who actually is on the drink side of things. And she is the mezcal head in Mm. in the operation. She loves all things mezcal. She even has her own mezcal called Dangerous Don, which is available in Marks and Spencers. I mean, this is how far... Mescal and the drinking yeah, public has come. Yeah, it's amazing. And that's great. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. So she's curated the mescals on, on this list. She also has created the drinks on the list. So even though there's, you can order the mescals to drink, to sip on their own, yeah. but they've made a really lovely list of cocktails that all kind of take in elements of cocktails that you would find somewhere else. So if you're a martini drinker, there's that sort of style of a mezcal-based cocktail. If you like your margaritas, there's obviously a classic margarita. They've got something along the lines of an old-fashioned. All of the drinks are beautifully thought out and really really well curated and i think what that's also what's good about that is it kind of it's like a kind of push-pull thing with the mezcal and the the cocktails is that if you like your mezcal you can go in and say well i like mezcal can i try some but also oh i happen to like a martini and that's they've got a drink like that conversely and I would put myself more in this group is like i want to learn about mezcal Mm. and they've got great curated mezcals and I want to have a great cocktail. What sort of cocktail do you normally drink? Oh, I quite like a whiskey sour. Okay, we've, we've got, got a version of that. So I think it works well for both of those audiences mm. and everyone in between. Yeah. Also, the other thing that I love about this list, all of the drinks have 
female names, you know. So there's things like the Margaret or the Monica or the Donya, you know. It's yeah. just really lovely. And you don't have to notice that. But because we're celebrating women on this issue, it's worth yeah. noticing that, yeah. you know, to bring that <laughs> and, to your and attention. And also, just to, to, to add to that point, the sections of the cocktails have got n- they're nice descriptions, like the sections that are sharp and sassy, Badass and boozy, yeah. fruity and fabulous. Yeah. And I, I'd actually I think include, I'm all of those. I, I, I think I'm all of those. Um, but I think that's really nice. And it kind of, it's got a playful yes, quality, yes. which is very appealing. Yeah, but it's very serious as mm. well. So we we had little, um, they treated us to some little flights of the drink. So we didn't have to go full on with everything, but we could sample the array of flavours, basically. Yeah. There's the signature, which was the Margaret's. It, which is a classic mezcal margarita that includes a lime and agave topped with a spicy garnish of chili and salt. I love that. That was so refreshing and sharp and easy to drink. It was a beautiful one for anybody, I think, yeah. to, to get into. So I had the, the Monica, which is a Dangerous Don Cafe mezcal, chocolate, creme de cacao, cocky americano and amaretto. And it's their take on the espresso martini. But having said that, you don't have to like an espresso martini to like this drink. Yeah, it's um, a really clever it's, take it's on smooth, it. It's smooth, it's delicious, and it's incredibly drinkable. Mm. The the Donia, it's uh, made of freshly squeezed ginger and lime with white vermouth and, again, Dangerous Don Cafe. But that was gorgeous as well and you had one of the non-alcoholic ones I didn't did. you uh, i tried the virginia which is uh made with lime hibiscus and raspberry sage and rose soda mm. and again it's one of those things where you can see that the amount of thought and care that went into this was every bit as important as what went into the mezcal cocktails. yeah exactly and i can't remember how many expressions of mezcal they have but i think it was about 12 yes yeah. but they're all carefully selected yeah. and they're all there for a reason they do have some beers funnily enough they have from the wildcard brewery which we've mentioned earlier yeah. on yeah, it's just a really lovely space. We had some food because they've got Tigra tacos upstairs. So that is the perfect accompanying yes, food it for really this. Is, yeah. Absolutely delicious tacos. And we definitely recommend trying some of those yeah. and spending the evening enjoying the entertainment, having these delicious cocktails, having some tacos. Hey, what's yeah. not to like? Yeah. We absolutely loved it. We recommend you get to Stoke Newton to try it yes so like always for everything that we mention on the podcast do look at our website or our instagram feed to find out more the cocktail lovers magazine is available in print and digital four times a year and a brand new issue will be available in april in the meantime why not catch up with the complete catalog of back issues for details see thecocktaillovers.com slash magazine So, as we said, we're championing all things great females in this particular episode. Yes, absolutely. And our library pick is no exception. We have the fantastic 10 cocktails, The Art of Convivial Drinking. And it's by one of our favourite female 
drinks writers, actually. Yeah. Not just female. She's right. a bloody writer. good... Yeah, Favorite absolutely. Writer, yeah. Her name is Alice Lassels, and yeah. she writes for the Financial Times. And she's written for everybody, actually. And also one of the co-founders of the UK Imbibe magazine, yes. which sadly no longer exists, but it was a great magazine for the, the drinks trade. Now, this, her book... It's a really interesting book, actually. As it says, it's all about 10 cocktails. Nothing new, maybe, in that. But the, the actual presentation of the book is yeah, very t- different. Talk about the cover, actually, because that, that really is eye-catching, that cover. Yeah, there's not a drink in sight, actually. Yeah. It's just a beautiful graphic illustration, really bold, really bright, very different. Very abstract. Yeah, Yeah. it's a lovely book and quite tactile as well, Mm. that cover. And that's not the only thing, that it doesn't have a drink on the cover, but it doesn't have a picture of a drink in the book either. Yeah. 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 So as we said, it's about 10 cocktails Mm. and she's broken them down into chapters. So Are are these her personal choices? Yes. um, She's picked them out and obviously she could have picked any, but the, the 10 that she's gone for are a gin and tonic, a martini, Sazerac, Corpse Reviver number two, a Negroni, Punch, Daiquiri, Old Fashioned, White Russian, and Bloody Mary. Interesting selection there. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, there's classics, and I suppose those are the ones, maybe, I guess, the ones that have most stories for her, you know, because, as I said, it's not really a recipe book. It's a series of essays, as you might say. Yeah. And that's the, that's in, it's interesting you say that because that reminds me of when the book came out a few years ago. 2015. 2015, mm. I can't believe seven years ago. I remember we were talking to Alice and she was talking about her influences. And one of the things she said, she was a real, she really liked the book Kingsley Amis had written called Kingsley Amis on Drink, which I'd also read. So we were chatting about that. And that was him writing in, I think, the 70s. And it was just like lots of essays of Mm. what he liked about the world of drink. And I think she said she was influenced by that. Yeah, and you can tell that because, as I said, there's no pictures in it, but she's so good at bringing these drinks to life. So she she gives her anecdotes and her thoughts on them. Also, I'd say a little bit of history, but it's not necessarily a historical book. It's more personal. Yeah, it's her musings. So, you know, there might include some bits of travel. It might include bits that she's spoken to bartenders about. It's also about some of the things that she's tasted badly in those categories and also the things that the way that she feels they should be served or appreciated and enjoyed. So, you know, at the end of each chapter, there are a couple of recipes, one which is classic and then probably, you know, one that is a good twist or something on that. It's the sort of book that you can just settle down with in the evening and just sort of read. Yeah, exactly. She's got a lovely, light chatty but authoritative yes. style you know so it's not too dictatorial but it's just beautifully written and really engaging so that's the reason that i love it mm-hmm. as i said there's some basic recipes and then it goes through to some other recipes as well it is a little bit hard to find at the moment i've been looking through the old interweb there are some copies still available on Amazon and I would really advise you to get it because it is a really lovely book beautifully yeah. written and it's just brings drinks to life in a different yeah. way seek it out if you can yes yeah. so that is 10 cocktails the art of convivial drinking by Alice Lassels and it is published by Salt Yard Books 
we could have interviewed Julie Rayner for any one of our podcast episodes. There's nothing she doesn't know about creating amazing bars and delicious crowd-pleasing drinks. But we wanted to save her for this, our celebration of women. No one has paved the way or been such a source of inspiration, not just for men, but particularly female bartenders around the world. Julie started out as a cocktail waitress in her native Hawaii, but made the move behind the bar after being inspired by the all-female bar team at the Red Room in San Francisco. From there, she moved to New York, where in 2003, she opened what is regarded as the first high-volume craft cocktail bar in New York, Flatiron Lounge. That was where she came to prominence, thanks to her rigorous training programs, culinary approach to drinks, and use of fresh ingredients at a time when most bars were still using sour mixes and soda guns. Pagoo Club, which followed two years later, was equally acclaimed, as is Clover Club, the bar she opened in Brooklyn in 2008, which is still going strong today. As well as still pulling shifts at Clover, running a consultancy business, and a line of delicious canned cocktails, She's co-owner of Leander, a mentor, judge, winner of multiple awards, and her book, The Craft Cocktail Party, should be on every cocktail lover's list. More than just a woman in the drinks industry, Julie Reiner is a pioneer and an absolute boss, and we're delighted to welcome her today. Julie, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thank you so much, Sandra and Gary. It's so great to hear your voices and see you. And what a lovely introduction. (laughs) It's been a long, long time. So, Julie, forgive us for generalizing, but let's put it out there, particularly as we're celebrating women and International Women's Day and Women's History Month. Hospitality is something that we women do so naturally, yet there's still relatively very few of us working in the industry. What's your take on this? You know, it's interesting because in my immediate world, that is not the case. You know, um, all of my partners are women. We have a lot of women within our establishments, you know, head bartenders, etc. And I think New York City, just in general, has a lot of women in the drinks industry. Other parts of the world, not so much, you know. And I think, you know, it definitely has had a bit of a machismo energy, you know, bars are late night establishments, sometimes they can be dangerous and seedy, you know, it's particularly in the past. And so it, you know, certainly was a very male dominated industry. But I think that a lot of that is changing, thanks to, you know, our team and other women all over the world who are like, you know what, we can do this too. And and hospitality is in our bones. And we're here. Julie, you mentioned something, you know, from the past. I mean, you've been in the the business sort of over 20 years. Could you sort of take us back to that period and what it was like to be a woman in the industry then? Um, You know, your observations on that. Yeah, well, you know, I started out cocktail waitressing in Waikiki when I was 18. And it was all men behind the bar. You didn't see any women behind the bar. And, you know, Hawaii is very hospitality and hotel travel driven, right? And the bartenders made more money. You know, it was cocktail servers were women, all women and the bartenders were all men. You know, and I remember being a cocktail waitress and, you know, that was 
when you had to like call your order <laughs> to the in a specific order. And if you said one thing out of order, the bartender would just stand there and look at you and you had to be like, let's see, did I say the beer out of order from the frozen drink? You know, yeah. And like, oh yeah, it was, that was crazy. But, you know, and I was always looking back there going, what are they doing? I want to get back there, you know? And then, you know, I went to college and suddenly, you know, women behind the bar, they wanted women behind the bar, you know, when I was in college in Florida, that was my first bartending job. And that was sort of like the opposite where they had all women behind the bar and the men were the big bouncers and stuff because they wanted sex appeal (laughs) from women behind the bar, you know, cut to like when I moved to New York, I had been bartending in San Francisco and, and working in San Francisco, which was also a very positive experience for women in the industry. The Red Room was all female bartenders. So, you know, my personal experience wasn't always that of like fighting to get behind the bar. When I got to New York, however, it kind of was that way, you know, and I would walk in and I knew I could bartend circles around the people, (laughs) the men that I saw behind the bar. And they would say, Oh, are you sure you don't want a cocktail waitress? Or, you know, maybe you start as a cocktail waitress, and then we'll see, you know, and I had to do the whole like, just put me back there for one night. And if I'm terrible, I'll cocktail waitress for you. And that was really how I got my first couple bartending jobs in, in New York City. And so what what do you think has happened now? I mean, you know, there are a lot of changes. As you said, in New York, yes, it's it's always been a bit more, it's been a bit better, more progressive. But even here in London and around the world, we're seeing a lot more females in positions, not just behind the bar, but in the drinks industry in particular. What do you think has changed? Well, I think that there's been a great deal of light shine on the fact that there was a lot of inequality, you know, within our industry, things like, you know, speed rack, for example, that Ivy Mix, my partner at Landa and Lynette Marrero started really like shined a light on women in the industry and gave them a place to, to sort of network and talk to each other and help to figure out how to get past some of these hurdles that they were all experiencing. And, you know, and across the pond where you guys are are in London, you know, a lot of women really started speaking up and saying, hey, this is bullshit, you know, Um, and, you know, why are we not being promoted to these positions, you know, seeing the American bar put the first female head bartender in there in uh, how many years, you know, yeah, yeah, incredible. (laughs) So I think that, you know, there, there's definitely been enough of us making noise and saying, you know, let's change this and right the wrong that has gone on in our industry. I think, you know, you you mentioned Speedrack. I think Speedrack has been really pivotal in this because I remember seeing when it came over to London, there were a lot of female bartenders that were a little meeker, shall we say. But then they got that platform to actually shine on Speedrack. And we've seen them just progress. They've got like Chelsea Bailey is a, a case in point. We've got Nicole Sykes. There's lots of them that started out with Speedrack and they've really gained their confidence and their voices. So 
big ups to speed, right? That's all I've got to say. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, it's so true. I think so often it's just giving people a home, you know, and and there's safety in numbers. And when you connect these strong women to each other, they are able to support one another, give opportunities if they're able to, mentor, you know, and and it's it's sort of moved into a lot of other areas in our in our industry as well. So I, you know, I couldn't be more proud of Lynette and Ivy for starting that and for continuing. It's a lot of work for them. They don't necessarily make a lot of money off of it, but they feel that it matters, you know, and that they have to continue. It's needed. Yeah. And they're passionate about it as well. So you can see that pride. And they've raised, you know, so much money for all for breast cancer charity. So it's great. And also on that, you know, because that obviously is, is a huge thing. What, what else would you personally like to see happening in the, in the industry? What other changes do you think positive changes could be made to encourage more people to step forward, more women to step forward? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, not getting attacked for stepping forward is, is a good thing. You know, I mean, I, uh, as you know, you know, for me, I, I had had that whole um, situation, you know, where I was interviewed and it was not a very positive experience. <laughs> and I said something on social media, because I thought that, you know, enough people, enough women reached out after seeing this film that came out saying, what happened here exactly, you know, and, and I'm not a particularly political person, but I felt like it would be a disservice for me not to say what happened and what my experience was with that. And it ended up blowing up and being my, you know, I was like, Oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> you know, because I wasn't trying to like, start some huge, you know, sort of battle. But it, it ended up be, get, being really huge, because so many women are experiencing the same thing, you know, so they saw that I said something were like, you know, wanted to, to be either support it, or in some and some were not happy that I said what I said, you know, so it ended up I, I think that supporting one another, you know, when we speak out is really important. And it's it's not easy. Like that was really tough for me, you know, because like I said, I'm not I'm not a super political. Would it would that stop you from speaking out again, that experience? I mean, it certainly was very stressful. And not that I wouldn't speak out again, but I probably would have thought about it a little bit more because, you know, as you know, I tend to just kind of say what I think. And I don't think I really, it was one of those, I just put it out there on social. I was like, you know what, this is BS and I have to say something. Uh, And I put it out there, not realizing kind of how, what could happen with just that one Instagram post. And that's the difference, I guess. One of the big differences of now, you know, we do have social media and that can be good and it can be bad, you know. So yeah. when you started out, there wasn't that, you know, and, and now it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, it's difficult. It, and I think social media definitely makes it much harder because when, when you put yourself out there in any way, shape or form, you open yourself up for attacks of any all sorts of things good (laughs) the good and the bad 
Let's talk about some lovely good stuff as well. Yeah, yes. uh, Julie. So, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, no, seriously, that is important what you just said. I'm not making light of yeah. that. That was very important. But in, in the introduction, Sandra mentioned, you know, your awards and your many bars and accolades. What would you say are your, your proudest moments and your proudest achievements in your career to date? Gosh, well, I mean, the opening of Flatiron Lounge, uh, you know, my first bar, I, I, I will never forget that day of, you know, the first day that we had people come in and realizing that dream. And it's happened, you know, I mean, every time we open a new bar, there's just such pride with what you've done and, you know, what what we're giving to the community and, and trying, you know, all of, I think that is huge. Winning Best Mentor at Tales of the Cocktail was a big one for me as well. And and seeing so many of the bartenders that I've mentored and who've worked in under our organization go on and do other things, you know, like we were talking about Lynette and Ivy and sort of watching their careers. And, you know, there have been so many more uh, people that have come through our doors who've just gone on to do incredible things in our, in our industry. So I'm proud that, you know, we inspired people in the beginning of their careers and that they have gone on and made our industry that much better. And, and also then teach others, you know, that's very rewarding. I know we've spoken before. And one of the times I mentioned, I can't remember what it was and what the question was. And you said, it will be so great when people don't talk about you being a woman in the drinks industry. <laughs> you know, I mean, do you still feel that way? Or, or has it got a bit less so that that sort of token thing of being a woman in the drinks industry? Yeah. No, the number one question I always get is that what's it like to be a woman in the in the drinks industry, you know? And I don't know what it's like not to be. So, yeah, it's, exactly. you know what I mean? And and also I just never really fo- I've never focused on my gender or, you know, that I never it never occurred to me that I couldn't do this because I'm a woman. You know, I've always just been like, "No, this is what I I love this. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do." And I love working with really amazing women as well. So I've surrounded myself, you know, my partners, you know, Susan Fedroff, Christine Williams, Ivy Mix, you know, there we have, you know, Tom Macy is our, our token man. (laughs) Tom, what's it like to be a man working with (laughs) all these women? You know, I, I, so, so I surround myself with really fierce, intelligent, brilliant women who are just great at what they do. That said, is it a certain type of woman that is attracted to the drinks industry? Because, you know, you're saying about these strong kick-ass women, which we're, we're going to talk about a little bit more detail. Does it take that to be in the drinks industry? I mean, well, I, there are different aspects of that. So, you know, to be a, you know, if you're a bartender in the industry, I think that, that people who are attracted to being behind the bar. And, you know, when you're behind a bar, you're controlling the flow of alcohol in the room. You know, it is a stage, you know, you're, you are, you know, entertaining people. And that does tend to be a strong personality, right? Man or woman. Mm. Um, You know, you don't really see like a wallflower behind the bar very often, you know? I mean, sometimes it's somebody who's really geeky about spirits and just, is a cocktail nerd and isn't necessarily uh, an extreme extrovert, but 
I think more often than not, they are, you know, that being said, you know, there are women in other aspects, you know, of the industry, you know, Susan Fedroff, who works with us, isn't really a, a, an extrovert. She's more of an introvert, but she does the numbers and the P&Ls and all of the stuff that it takes to run a great bar. You need those people, you know, you need somebody who's with organization and who's great at math. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, thank goodness for them. Yeah, thank God. I'm like, <laughs> without, without these women by my side, our places would fail miserably, you know, I mean, like they great drinks, but rubbish business. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's true though. You know, it's like, you can't run a successful bar if you don't have people who understand business. So, you know, for us, it's Christine and Susan who deal with these things, you know, and Ivy and I get to travel around the world, you know, doing the, the dog giving and pony the jazz show hands. and giving the jazz hands, <laughs> judging cocktail competitions with our friends, <laughs> going to Trinidad and places like that. Um, you know, and we get to do a lot of this, you know, very glamorous side of the business. But without people, you know, running the show, you don't have a business at all. They're equally important, aren't they? And they wouldn't want to do the other side either. So it it all balances, it all balances out. Yeah. So I think that there are places for people, you know, badass bartenders or not. (laughs) And it's interesting, Julie, because you mentioned their um, sort of traveling around the world. And earlier, you know, you've talked obviously a lot about the States and you've touched on UK. But on your travels around the world, what would you say are the countries that are doing some great things in terms of women in the industry? Gosh, you know, I don't travel as much as a lot of my friends in our industry do, you know, which some people do think that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly all over the world. And, you know, I judge world class quite often and get to travel, you know, but um, there are a lot of parts of the world I really haven't been able to experience. And I just know from from hearing about them. Um, I think Spain, I've seen I've, I've traveled a good amount to Spain, uh, have seen some great female bartenders coming out of, of different parts of Spain. Um, I think Australia is very supportive of women in our industry. I was supposed to go to Australia for the first time, right? Just as the pandemic started, I was like, damn it. <laughs> Finally, I was going to get there, you know. You um, will. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. You know, and obviously England. Uh, and I think Germany, too. I've seen some, some I've met some really great women from Berlin and, and different parts of Germany. Um, so, I, you know, I think there are quite a we're few getting there. Are, Yeah, we're, we're getting, getting there. there. We're getting there. But I don't really travel internationally as much as like I said, a lot of a lot of my friends in our in our industry because I'm here running the bars. You know? Indeed, you are. <laughs> so um, going back to International Women's Day and the um, Women's History Month, this year's theme for International Women's Day is break the bias. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations on this? Um, yes, break the bias. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. My thoughts are how about we start breaking the bias? You know, um, you know I, yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of companies are, are, you know, starting to sort of educate people about their own personal biases that they don't realize that they have. You know, I've done some, some judging you know, with world class where we sit down and they talk about what you might be biased this way. They explain the different ways that you might be biased because people don't 
always realize their the bias that they have. So pointing that out and and being you know being aware of it, just teaching it, I think is a great first step. Okay, and what about past and present? Are there some women that you would personally like to name check right now? Gosh, there are so okay. So, yeah, I I saw. I was like, there are so many that that have inspired me over the years, you know, Charlotte Voicy, Monica Berg, Robin Nance, Tess Potamus, Lauren Moach, Anu Apti. I don't know if you guys know Anu. You probably do from Seattle. Christine and Susan, of course, Ivy, Audrey Saunders, Lacey Hawkins, Leanne Favor. There are so, there are so many that I can't, it's hard to even, it's hard to name them all, but the, you know, those are some of, some of my, you know, friends and people that I, that I have watched over the years, Bridget Albert, talk about, you know, being, being around for a very long time in our industry. I think Bridget is the uh, Susan Lucci of the Tales of the Cocktail Mentor Award, you know, (laughs) she's been nominated so many times and just keeps at it. And there, there are so many. That's fantastic. That's great. What's the best thing about being a woman in the drinks industries? <laughs> <laughs> that old question. That. <laughs> well, <laughs> what's the best thing? I mean, I feel like over the course of my career, I've been offered quite a few opportunities because I'm a woman in the drinks industry. And they're like, oh, we need a woman. <laughs> I'm getting that now. You know? Sorry, Gary. Uh, yeah. It does happen, though. Yeah, it does, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, I'm not mad at that. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So what's the worst thing about being a woman in the drinks industry? Um, people asking you what it's like to be a woman in the drinks industry. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. But, you know, it's it's been, you know, 25 years of yeah, and also you just work it. You just get. I, yeah, it, I mean, is... you get to. Like I said, I you just don't. I don't even think about it. You know, mm. I just keep pushing forward. <laughs> Brilliant. And what's the the last question is? What's your female superpower? What is my female superpower? Um, gosh, being a very good multitasker. That's it. <laughs> That's the one. That is the baby. <laughs> And, and, hot, and hot flashes. <laughs> <laughs> that really is a superpower. Oh, Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure. And it's so lovely to speak to you again. I hope we get to travel to New York very, very soon. I do too. And I, I need to come to London and see you all. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.